you want to take your Bibles and turn to Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two, and as we get started, I'm going to read verses three through seven, and we're going to be preaching this morning on three people to concern, consider learning from, three people that we need to learn from, three examples in Scripture that God uses to teach us. And uh, so we'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. So if you would follow along as I read that this morning. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Last week we looked uh, at being strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and how Paul challenged Timothy to teach what he had been taught in the presence of many witnesses to other people who would teach other faithful people, who would teach other faithful people, and so forth. Um, I know of at least two people who took this challenge literally and personally the last week. In fact, I had a couple different people come to me and say, Hey, um, Pastor, I really feel like I need to be involved with this. I'm not really sure who to look for. And uh, can I just say that this is not an easy task for many reasons. Um, People aren't always standing in line waiting to learn from you. You ever notice that? Uh, You ever had a child that you're trying to teach something to? He's like, Dad, I know what I'm doing. Just leave me alone. I mean, as a general rule, people aren't often standing in line saying, Oh, teach me. I just can't wait to learn. But yet they know, yet you know that they need to learn because that's the process of life. We learn from those who've gone before us. We learn those who've had the experiences that we've not yet had and so forth. So, but people aren't always standing in line waiting to learn from you. And then people don't often make time to invest in other people's lives. Oftentimes, we don't really care about what goes on in other people's lives because we have enough busyness in our own lives that we just don't think about it. Out of sight, out of mind, i got my own list, i got my own things to do, just leave me alone so I can get them done. And yet, that's really a life of selfishness as well because God says we're to be investing in lives of others, as we saw from God's Word in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And then number three, people are sometimes too proud. They don't feel like they need someone to invest in them spiritually. Uh, can I say, I've encountered a lot of people who have grown up in church, and if you've grown up in church for any amount of time, there's kind of this in the back of our minds, even though we wouldn't be so bold as to say it, we have this idea that, well, I've heard that before. And I appreciate what John MacArthur says, one of the most important things that we should never do is kind of come into a service, and pastor says, turn your Bible to such and such, and you kind of glance at, oh, I've heard this message before, and mentally we just shut it off because we know it already. If you've been in church for any amount of time, there's a tendency to say, well, I've already kind of just got, to, got the gist of this passage already, right? Let's be honest. And so that's what we don't want to do. We do ourselves a great disservice when we kind of mentally shut it off because we already know it, or at least we think we know it. So the idea here is that, you know, sometimes people are too proud. In fact, I really wanted to take some time to disciple some of the men in my first church, and they, quite honestly, they didn't want to do it. I had some guys in the church who were already Bible college graduates, they knew this already. They didn't want to learn. They did not want to see what God's Word had for them and how they could apply the Scriptures to the day of living because they'd already been there, already done it. They knew it. And they let me know that. And I said, all right. You can't teach somebody who doesn't want to learn. 
Howard Hendricks would argue that. He said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. He goes, yes, you can. You can make it sweet, put some sugar in it. And so, uh, you know, folks, it's the Word of God. We should want to learn it. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.15, we'll get to in a couple weeks, says, study to show thyself approved unto God. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a deacon, if you're an elder, if you're a pastor, a missionary. Wait a minute. I just added to the scripture. You are to study the Word of God, right? That's a little weak out there. Anyway, you get the idea. But can I just say, if we would do those two things that we learned about last week, if we would apply those to our hearts and our lives, if we would really make a practice of showing grace, and as I said last week, being quick and ready to give out grace to whoever needs it and readily be willing to do that, what might be different in the church of Jesus Christ? I think a lot of hardships, a lot of trials, a lot of uh, misunderstandings and miscommunications, and he said this and she did that to me, would be disappeared in, in just a few moments if we would just be quick to show grace rather than people leaving and being frustrated and going somewhere else and taking those hurts and frustrations with them to another place to fellowship. And then number two, if we would be quick to invest spiritually in the lives of others. Uh, so this question came up this week, how do I do that? I think it has to start with prayer. It has to start with prayer. God, who do you want me to work with? God, who do you want me to invest in? God, who can I learn from? God, who do you want to... T- what is it that you're trying to teach me? If we don't base that in prayer, it's worthless, right? Discipleship, for many churches, is a program. It's just one more thing that you can sign up for. But discipleship is not a program. Programs without prayer is just stuff on a calendar. So if it's just a program, go through the material and then go home and be done. See, discipleship is a way of life. It's something that goes on and on and on and on for the rest of our lives. Always learning, always imparting. And that's what God's Word wants us to do. So Paul reinforces what he's already told Timothy. So consider these three examples, these three people that you can learn from. And we should do well to consider these three people as well in our own lives. So we find this right away in in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. It says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So first of all, consider the soldier this morning. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. So as I was thinking through this in the last week, he shares in the suffering. In other words, some of your translations may say this, endure hardness. In other words, it literally means to suffer the inflictions of what it means to be in an army, what it means to be part of a team, something that is greater than yourself. It's going to have its difficulties. It's going to have its trials. But as I was thinking about this, 10 things came to my mind immediately. And I wish I could say it came from personal example. It has not. These are things that just come to my mind as I think about a soldier. Number one, a soldier leaves his family to do his job. Think about that. He's willing to leave his own family. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. Some of you remember those days as you're a teenager chomping at the bits. You can't wait for the next chapter in life. And that's, we're so impatient, aren't we? We can't wait till we graduate from high school. We can't wait till you graduate from college. You can't wait till you get that job. You can't wait till you get that new car. You can't wait till you get that house. We're always looking for the next thing, right? Rather than taking in. I know that for me, the one thing that I look forward to, the one thing that I love more than anything is my family. And I, I, you know, I jokingly said uh, the other day, I said, I wish I could just build a big compound and let everybody on my family build a house on it. You know, just keep everybody close and keep an eye on them and just help everybody, everybody protect one another. Andrea goes to Don, she goes, is Dad serious about this? 
because I really don't want to live there. I want to live over here. She goes, Annie, it'll all work out. But isn't it true, though? We want our families close. We love our families. It's the, it's the one near and dear, the thing that's probably most near and dear to most all of us. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, it says this. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If we are going to truly be invested with Jesus Christ, if we're going to truly be a committed follower of Christ, we have to be willing to put God in front of everything else. Does he literally want me to hate my father? No, he wants us, our love and compares our love to Jesus Christ and our love for God the Father be so great that it pales in comparison to anything else. I love God more than my own family is what he's saying here. But you know, a soldier oftentimes has to sacrifice that. He has to leave. Number two, a soldier leaves the comforts you and I richly enjoy. I don't know about you, but there's nothing enjoyable about going to some battle-torn area of the world and sleeping on a cot for months on end. I like my foam mattress. I'm just saying. Anyone else? But soldiers are willing to leave the comforts of their own home, the comforts that you and I recently enjoy. Number three, a soldier goes through rigorous training both mentally and physically, and I'm not sure which one's worse. There are a lot of people that can handle the physical training, but mentally it's just even more so. I remember reading the article about Hell Week for Navy SEALs. I remember thinking to myself, these guys are like freaks of nature. They're like beasts. They're animals. What they go through. But it's not just physical. It's, it's emotional. And without the emotional part, they can't get through the physical part. But why do they do that? So that they can be trained for battle. They willingly put themselves through this. They put themselves under the commander. They put themselves under the training so that they will become stronger and more disciplined to accomplish what their commander wants them to do. Number four, a soldier is often exposed to difficult situations and circumstances. The difficult circumstances. The heat. I don't know about you, but some of these tents in the Middle East, they don't have air conditioners in them. I'm just saying 112, 114 in the middle of the day is not my cup of tea. If I ever moved up... Texas, where my in-law lives, I'm going to have one of those great big grocery store commercial air freezers in my living room. I can't deal with that, man. That's just like insane. I like the cold air. I just don't like the snow. But they put themselves in circumstances, difficult situations where their life is at jeopardy. Number five, a soldier protects and defends those who cannot protect and defend themselves. They are willing to put their lives on the line to protect and defend those who cannot protect and defend themselves. Number six, a soldier often works as a member of a team rather than an individual. He knows his place. Isn't that amazing? That a soldier has to know his place. Where do I fit into the puzzle? Where do I fit into the chain of command? Where do I fit into this grand scheme of things so that I can do my part to accomplish what's best for the whole? A soldier that doesn't know his place is not a good soldier. Number seven, a soldier often serves unrewarded or even ridiculed in this day and age. Even ridiculed. Can you imagine that? Someone who's going to give their life, they're sacrificing their time, their energy, their efforts, their well-being, and then being ridiculed for it. Number eight, a soldier is called to complete commitment. See, half-heartedness doesn't work. You see, not being willing to get up when the, when the siren goes off isn't going to be acceptable. His time is controlled, and he's given to complete commitment. Number nine, a soldier trusts his commanding officers and follows their commands. 
He trusts them. Why? Because they have the experience, they have the knowledge, they have the wisdom that's going to help them be effective in battle. And they trust their commanding officer and follow their commands. And number 10, these are just a few things that came to my mind immediately. A soldier is often called to sacrifice his very life. Paul says to Timothy, share in the sufferings as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you would, keep your finger there, but turn over to the book of Ephesians just for a moment. Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 6. And can I just say as we're turning there, you know what a good soldier is. But he says, as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Think about that just for a moment. Let's read verses 10 through 12 in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, verse 10 says, Finally, be, strong, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And just in case you're wondering who our struggles are against, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. And for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with the truth. And it goes on to give us the armor. See, we struggle and we fight, but our fight is not with flesh and blood. Think about that just for a moment. We're in the Lord's army. And he says, be prepared to be able to stand against the spiritual darkness that's in our world. So, come back to the definition of a soldier just for a moment. Spiritually speaking, am I willing as a soldier of Jesus Christ to put God first ahead of my family? See, man, if you don't put your relationship with God first above your relationship with your family members, you won't be successful. You will fail. You will fall. It's a matter of time. You must walk with God first and foremost. Men, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, are you willing to leave the comforts that you richly enjoy? Are you willing to say no to some things, to say yes to some things for God? What are we willing to sacrifice and put aside for the things of God to walk with Him? As a soldier goes through rigorous training, what are we willing to go through as far as training spiritually so that we can be prepared to fight for the Lord? You see, all these things that applies to a physical real soldier also applies to us as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? They all apply. Every last one of them and many more. So often, but we don't think about it because we think there are other people who are soldiers. Other people will do the work. Other people will stand. Other people will fight. And I just reap the benefits of what everyone else is doing. I don't know if I should say it, but that almost sounds like welfare. I don't want to be a welfare Christian. I want to be actively involved. I want to do my part. Amen? I want to stand ready, on guard, willing and ready to fight and go forward. In 1 Corinthians, keep your finger there in 2 Timothy, but in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, he says, Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. And they do this to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So not only as a soldier, let me back up just for a second. Sometimes we have this idea that Paul is talking to Timothy as a what? Not only a soldier, but first and foremost, as a minister of Jesus Christ. 
You see, as we said over and over, that Paul's getting ready to pass the baton. He's willing to let it go to the next generation here. And Paul's in a prison in Rome. <coughs> he can't do the things that he wants to do. He's training Timothy to take over what he has begun. But people have the idea that ministry is a soft and easy job. I mean, after all, I mean, we ourselves joke, we work one day a week, right? I mean, who wouldn't want that job? It's awesome. Work one day a week, it's sweet. Yeah, try it sometime. It's not an easy job. Ministers are often misunderstood. Uh, ministers are often carry heavy burdens that no one knows about. It's, it's kind of funny. I've, I've said over the years, somebody will come to a pastor, and I've heard the stories from other pastors who have talked to me about it. It's like, man, i got this one family, they just won't lay off. They got this one issue, and this, and they just like at me and 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 at me, and I'm like, <laughs> I just laugh because the bottom line is, most of us, when something big comes into your life, it's the one thing that dominates your thinking, right? And because it dominates your thinking, there's an idea that it should dominate the pastor's thinking, <laughs> except for you're just one person, and, and this guy's got a bunch of one persons thinking about it. <laughs> So the load is often heavy. And I tell people, if you can't handle, if your shoulders aren't broad, don't go to ministry. It'll drive you insane. I'm just telling you, there's nothing more I'd rather do than serve God's people. But ministers often carry heavy burdens. Ministers often live with unfulfilled expectations. Timothy's going to understand this. What do I mean by that? Can I just say this and just really share my heart just for 10 seconds? Pastors will live with unfulfilled expectations. What are those expectations? He wants more for you, spiritually. I want so much more for you than you want for yourselves, most of you. I want you to grow in God's Word. I want you to grow in the knowledge of God's Word. I want you to sense the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Because there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing more exciting than getting in God's Word and learning something new, and you're like, whoa, God, tell somebody about this one, and really like parse it out, and to really look at their languages, and to really study it out, and for God to just unpack something for you. That is so exciting. But why is it that just the pastor gets excited about this stuff sometimes? I just know that some of you just don't give a flip, and I feel bad for you, because you're missing out the benefits and the blessings and the encouragement that God's Word could be for you if you would just study it for yourselves. Pastors will live with unfulfilled expectations because we have expectations that God is somehow going to take the Word of God, not me, not what I say, not how I say it, but take the Word of God and somehow encourage you to get in God's Word and to study it and to apply it to your life. And some of you just don't care. And that's sad. He'll carry unfulfilled expectations that you're going to pray more. That you're really going to earnestly get on your knees before God and say, God, if you don't work, I, it's not going to happen. You miss the blessing of, of that time with God when you don't do that. I wish, I wish that I could just say to all of you, I am so excited because every one of you are just spending time in God's Word and praying and, and making God a priority in your life, but, but we know that that's not reality. And God says, don't follow me with lip service. Don't show up on Sunday and raise your hands and sing a few songs and pretend everything's okay because it's really not. Right? We know the truth. But we want more for you. You should want more for you. 
right? I know this doesn't apply to everybody, so just if it doesn't apply to you, just go, you know, uh, let it go pass over. But for those of you that aren't getting it, let it sink in. You're, you're missing the blessings and the opportunities and, the, and just the, 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 the ability to know God on a deeper, more intimate level. Ministers want more for you. So getting back to the soldier just for a moment in 2 Timothy. He does two things. He sidesteps entanglement of civilian life. There's a word picture associated with the word entangled. Um, I grew up as a young child going to Lake Michigan every year. Uh, we were on our way to my grandparents' house in Blanchard, Michigan, and we used to stop along Lake Michigan and Manistique, Michigan, and there are all these little gift and souvenir shops. <coughs> and um, my brothers and I would go into these shops and hoping mom and dad would let us spend some money on some of these worthless souvenirs that we wanted to bring home with us. And uh, they would often like buy these little trinkets and so forth. But there was something that always fascinated me. <clears throat> In those little gift shops, souvenir shops on Lake Michigan, there was these nets that would be coming down from the ceiling. And there were these nets of old vessels that had worn them, that carried them. They were worn out, and now they're just up on the wall on the ceiling as decoration. But get in your mind, and some of you can picture this, one of these old nets that have squares maybe about this big, just netting about squares with two inch, three inch squares, and imagine it on the floor. Can you imagine being in a hurry and trying to get through and then going over that net? What would happen to your feet? Get caught in the netting. That's the word picture that is associated with this word entangled. It's the idea of an old fishing net that you're warning across, and if you're not careful, your feet are going to get caught in it. And as soon as they get caught as you're running through it, you're going to fall flat on your face. And so the idea here is a soldier is to be careful not to be caught in the net. And of course, he tells us what the net is, right? He says, sure, in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. And literally what that is the idea of is the cares of this world. It's the idea of that the things of this world are going to become more important than my responsibility to my commander-in-chief. I have trainings there, oh well, if it's convenient, oh well, if there's time for it, oh well. No. I'm committed to one, not to 21. I'm committed to the one, not anyone. It's the idea here that the things of this world are not as important as the things of God. Civilian life. What does a civilian care for? My job, my income, my health insurance, my cars, my house, my family. He said those things are set aside to concentrate on being the good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not entrapped by the entanglements of this civilian life. And so he says, we're to be careful there. In 2 Corinthians, almost there, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I love hearing the rustling of the pages. I know it's up there, but look for it because you might want to underline it. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Folks, we need to realize that the battle is real. And if we're so sidetracked and uh, focused on everything else that doesn't matter, when what really does matter comes into our life, we're going to miss it. We're not going to be prepared. We're not going to be able to do it. So the minister of Jesus Christ avoids living like or living as a civilian. He's not living without care or concern of the enemy. He's on guard. That's what it means to be on guard. Because Second Peter tells us, be vigilant because your adversary as the devil walks around seeking whom he may devour. The enemy is always alive and ready to attack. We need to be ready and prepared. He's not living for what the world has to offer. That's on hold. He's not living with <clears throat> a personal agenda. He hasn't had time for that. <clears throat> so number one, he sidesteps entanglement. And number two, he satisfies his commander. The minister of Jesus Christ seeks to please his commander as well. I wonder this question. We could all answer this question in our own minds. I wonder what we are doing currently that would please our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. What are we doing currently that says, man, this is pleasing to God? Or could we more easily say, this doesn't please God? My selfishness, my pride, my arrogance, my agenda. Who are we living for? A true soldier satisfies his commander. Why? It says it right there in the verse. He seeks to please the commanding officer. And for this reason, he endures hardness. Number two, consider the athlete in verse 5. It says also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You know, think about it. <clears throat> A true athlete follows the rules. He doesn't cheat. Um, He's disciplined in his exercise. How good do you think an athlete would do if he never exercised? Man, he'd get winded. He'd be out of breath. He wouldn't know what to do because he has a practice. Bottom line is he's worthless. He's disciplined in his diet. Can you imagine a weightlifter or a, a wrestler or a, uh, you know, any, anybody who works, you know, that does combat sports? or any, can, you, can you imagine just like filling up on Twinkies every day and then going out to fight? Going out to wrestle? Doesn't work. We used to tease the heavyweights because they weren't trying to cut weight so they could eat whatever they wanted, you know, growing up as a wrestler. But as someone who really wants to compete and do well, they watch their diet and they're disciplined in their diet. And then number three, a true athlete is disciplined in knowing the rules and guidelines so that they can follow them and not be disqualified. I was just thinking about this last night. There are many athletes who do not follow the rules. Some of my favorite people looking back that I was disappointed in and ashamed of for not following the rules. One of the, my favorite things I used to do every year was watch the Tour de France. I used to love watching that. In high school, I was an avid bicyclist. I, I had a 10-speed. We used to do 100-mile weekends regularly. I loved riding my bike. We had a big pack on it. I, mean, I, loved, I loved the touring. And I uh, had a nice bike until I destroyed it and going down a hill and crashed. Um, but it was fun. But remember the news of Lance Armstrong doping? How did it make you feel? 
like, ah, you cheated. It like takes away all the sweetness of the victory, right? Knowing that they cheated. Or Marion Jones in the 2000 Olympics. Anybody remember this? I mean, you win and you, you set all kinds of records and you're the fastest woman and then all of a sudden it comes out that you're using steroids to get an advantage. And the sweetness of victory is just gone. Or Tanya Harding, remember that one? Had her opponent attacked so that she could win the gold in the 1994 Olympics. Can you imagine wanting to win so bad that you'd hire someone else to take someone else out so that you could win the gold? Is it really worth it? I mean, is silver really that bad? Apparently. But the shame that comes with the cheating. Or Ben Johnson. Remember Ben Johnson, fastest man on earth? And uh, was it Carl Lewis who has ended up getting the gold because Ben Johnson was stripped of his gold in the 88 Olympics when it found out that he was cheating? Or Barry Bonds. Remember Barry Bonds, the year baseball players? Some of the greatest home runs ever hit. Some of the most amount of home runs ever hit. And come to find out that he's on steroids and was doping to get an advantage. What happens to the victory after all that? Just taken over by shame. Here's one last one that I, would, I didn't remember readily, but I saw it online. Rosie Ruiz, the Boston Marathon of... Um, she started off with all the other runners. And before the marathon was over, just a couple miles into the race... She ducked out of the pack, got on a subway, went to the finish line a mile and a half before the finish line, jumped back out and ran that last mile and a half and won it for the ladies. She shattered her own record by 20-some minutes. And all the officials are like, hmm, 20 minutes off your best time? Come to find out she jumped the subway. And then denied it, even though there were people who saw her do it. The, the glory of winning the Boston Marathon eight days later stripped away because it was found out that she cheated. I don't know about you, but as I think about this, he gives us the example of an athlete. And as a true athlete, we want to know the rules so that we can follow them, so that we can abide by them, so that when we win, it's legitimate rather than being disgraced. See, disgrace comes by not competing with integrity. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, it says, Remain in Him that we may have confidence and not be ashamed at His appearing. Think about that for a moment. God wants us to follow the guidelines. The guidelines are not hard. It's really involved in a relationship. Walk with them talk with him, pray to him, let him speak to us through his word. It's a relationship. And we said many times that the greatest factor in any relationship is what? Communication. God speaking to us, us speaking to God. That's what builds the relationship. But when we neglect the communication, the relationship goes down the hole. Right? We need to get back to it. Because when we 
stand before God, we want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He says, I have kept the faith. I have finished the course that you've set before me. I want to do that with confidence. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Wouldn't that be exciting to stand before the Lord and say, well done, child, well done. That's going to be awesome one day. Hopefully we can stand before God and say, man, there was nothing else I'd rather have done. There's joy in that. I don't want to stand before him disgraced because I chose to cheat. Take a shortcut. Not follow all the rules. And then he says, consider the farmer, verse 6. He says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of his crops. In other words, he enjoys the fruits of his labor. He enjoys the fruits of his labor. You see, in order to enjoy the fruits, you've got to labor. You've got to labor. The fruit doesn't come without the labor. The harvest doesn't come without the labor. You, some of us wonder why we've never been able to see someone come to know Jesus Christ through our relationships. Maybe because we're not laboring for that. You say, well, I haven't had the chance to encourage anybody. Maybe because we're not laboring towards that. We're too busy wrapped up in self rather than pleasing the one. And we're just worried about you know, taking care of number one and you know, taking care of me, myself, and I. And us three, that's, that's a busy schedule. And we're just not seeing God do something. Maybe it's because we're not laboring towards that. You see, if you want to have the fruit of the harvest, you've got to labor for the harvest. Because one doesn't come without the other. So many of us want the blessings without the sacrifice and the obedience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, turn there one more time, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read just the first handful of verses here. I'm going to begin to read verse 1. It says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If, if I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He said, listen, I'm investing in you. And I have some expectations of you because I'm investing in you. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? He says, listen, this is the result of our labor. The result is that there's going to be a yield. There's going to be a harvest because of our efforts. Verse 8 says, am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned about the oxen? Isn't he really saying it for your own sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much to reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of the, this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. He says, we expect that we have an expectation there's going to be a yield from what we are laboring with and for. Wow. He tries the harvest that he has yielded, knowing it is good. He wants others then to try it as well. Isn't that awesome? I'm telling you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
you have tasted and seen that it is good, and because you know how good it is, you want others to taste it. I'm just telling you, when you taste something that's good, you're like, man, here, check this out. Friday nights, I usually take my wife out to dinner on Friday nights. Everyone knows that. My kids know not to bother me. On Friday nights, I'm taking Don out to lunch or, or dinner. It's just our date night. And we always try to find new places to check out. So this last week, we went to this place that I punched in the internet, and I hit the directions, and it took me to the backside of a warehouse. I'm like, yeah, no steak place here. And that's not happening. And we're looking around, we're laughing at each other because, yep, that's 1356, and there's nothing there. It's a warehouse. Well, I looked at it and I said, well, there's another place up the road we haven't been to yet. Agatina's. Anybody ever heard of Agatina's? Oh my goodness. That place is awesome. Beans and greens and sausage. Took that thing, I said, done. Oh, you got to try this. It was so good. Then she got this chicken blah, 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 blah stuff. It was so incredible. It had flavor that I've never tasted before. And she's like, here, try this. And we're like, I got a little steak. And I was like, I'm dipping my steak in her like chicken florin whatever it was sauce. It was so good. I'm just telling you, when you taste something that is that good, Andy chases clam chowder. Just saying. It's good. I downed it. But when you, and I was looking at Don, you got to try this. I'm just saying, when something is good, you want others to taste it. Tell me I'm wrong. You want people to see it, taste it, to experience it. He says, oh, taste and see that it is good. Who are you inviting to taste? The farmer says, this crop is so good. I'm going to partake of it. <laughs> I'm going to share it. He wants other people to try it because he knows how good it is. So let me wrap all this up in one phrase. Verse 7. He says, consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Here's the word I want you to just grasp on as we bring all this into a close. That word consider, and I know as I say often, you don't give a flying flip about the Greek language, but this is one that's really cool. I've got to just bring it out for a moment. That word consider is what we call a present active imperative. You know what that means? Do it now. Do it right now. So all these things that he has given us example of as a soldier of Jesus Christ who seeks to please his master, his commander. As an athlete who seeks to compete with integrity and character. As a farmer who works hard and labors hard so that he may enjoy the harvest. He said, with these three examples in mind, do it now. Don't wait. I've heard people say over the years, well, I served God for a lot of years. It's time for the next generation to step up. 100% true. But where's the quitting in that? As you're waiting for the next generation to step up, you keep going and showing my example of how, you know, how to finish well.
heard some other people say, well, someone else will do it. I'll get busy a little bit more later, after retirement, after things get less busy with the family, when my kids are out of the house. I've heard it all, and you have too. Don't worry, God gives you a bye because you're busy, right? No. We're all busy. It comes down to what's the priority of our life, right? So we are soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ. We are athletes on God's team. We are farmers for the Lord, planting, watering, and harvesting souls for our Heavenly Father. And we're to be actively involved in doing the work of the ministry. That's our job above everything else. All those things that we looked at concerning a soldier applies to us in God's army. Those things that we looked at concerning an athlete competing with integrity, we know the rules. God's given us a book to how we can live our life to pleasing Him. As a farmer, oh, we've been taught so many messages on sharing and watering and planting that we don't even know what to do with all the, all the ways that we know how to do it. And we've had videos, we've had seminars, we've had conferences, we've had training. I mean, share Jesus without fear. The one that was up on the wall forever. I mean, we've had methods and, and, and programs till we're blue in the face. What are we doing about it? How about life touching life? Let's get back to verses 1 and 2. Be strong in the grace, and the things that you've heard teach others. And this is how we're to do it. Be disciplined as a soldier. Be disciplined as an athlete. Be disciplined as a farmer. And watch God work. Let's pray.